Well, it is, in fact, wonderful to be with you all today, and uh, we're going to talk about something that is kind of awkward for some, is really comfortable for others, and then you fall somewhere in between, uh, maybe for the rest of us. And of course, I'm talking about prayer. Some people feel qualified, some people unqualified. Uh, The first time I was in a public prayer meeting, I was a very uh, young believer, and I'd only been a Christian a little while, and, and I made uh, uh, some observations while I was in this public prayer meeting. The first thing that I noticed is that I peeked, right? So I, I cheated, and I opened my eyes, because I wanted to know if I was doing it right. And one of the things I realized is you can pray with your eyes open. Just blew my mind. I was like, hold on a second. Are they cheating? Is that okay? I don't know. Right? But you realize if you've been in any, some, any sort of uh, public prayer, I mean, there's a few things that you recognize. And I realized in that moment that there are those people who they seem to want to connect with God. And then there's others who seem to want to connect with the people they're praying with. <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's those who pray very academically in the prayer circle. Have you been to a prayer meeting, a public prayer meeting? Very academic. They're like praying in Greek. I mean, I, I, need, I need the gift of interpretation to even know what you're talking about. You know, they're so academic, nobody actually knows what they're praying about except for them. Or there's the humble brag prayer. You guys know this one? Lord, thank you for making me so awesome. <laughs> when I talk about all my achievements, thanking God for making me so great. Or there's the, <laughs> there's the gossip prayer. No, you guys don't do this, but maybe you've heard somebody that has done this in the, in the prayer circle. They start, they start praying about somebody Lord, we need to pray for Lucy. That girl is crazy. Lord, Lucy's in a lot of trouble. And then we start listing all the things Lucy's about. <laughs> we're talking about trying to pray for when all we're doing is spreading gossip about this person. Again, I know you've never done that, but you probably heard that before. How about the echo prayer? <laughs> Lord, I want to echo that prayer. I want to echo the echo of their echo of my echo. I stole that, by the way. That's not an original. Or you had the leapfrog prayer. You had a person who prays a prayer, and then somebody else prays, and then they pray again. And then somebody else will pray, and then they jump on over that one and pray again. They just keep leapfrogging everybody, praying all throughout the time. You ever met those people? How about the, uh, <clears throat> how about the verbatim prayer? This is a good one. The verbatim prayer is the prayer, this person, this is the same prayer verbatim every time you pray with them. You ever heard of that one? It's the same exact prayer. Man, last Thursday, I swear they prayed that exact prayer. So then you go to the next one and they pray the exact same prayer and you wonder if they even know what they're praying, right? Or there's the, uh, my favorite youth ministry prayer. Lord, I really need an A to pass this class. I know I didn't study. I know I barely went to class and I have no idea what we're testing on, but Lord, please give me an A. I feel like that happens all the time in school. And then there's a counseling session prayer where you you should have been been in like a one-on-one prayer group instead of like a whole group. You know, when you get all the laundry out there. See, uh, if we can recognize where we fall in this and can acknowledge that maybe we need to make some adjustments in prayer, which is what Jesus is really trying to get us to understand today, we may be able to build and grow in our prayer life. And I'll tell you this, the devil doesn't care how much we serve, 
He doesn't even care how much you read the Bible, but when the church starts to pray, he gets a little nervous. Because what it does is it removes us and our ability and it puts all the power on God. It puts all the responsibility on the power of God to move in the church and in the world. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. There are those who pray for the praise of people and there are those who are seeking the face of God and there's a difference in the result and there's a difference in the reward and this is what Jesus is talking about. We move in chapter six of Matthew and we're gonna start in verse five. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we switched from the hypocrisy of the Pharisees' teaching to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees' actions, their practice. We talked about giving last week. Why do you give? There's the motive involved. And that the motive is really the deciding factor of whether it is righteous or not. It's not about the amount you give, right? It's about the motive with which you give it. Who are you seeking praise from, men or from God? And this is no different. Let's jump into it. Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Again, hypocrites, people acting with masks on. No, not this kind. You're not all hypocrites because you have a mask on. You know what I mean, like the actual, the actor's mask. It says, don't be like them, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. See, the Pharisees would love to stand up in front of people and give great oratory prayers. They would give very religious and academic prayers so people would know how religious and spiritual they were. The problem was it didn't have any substance and that they were looking for praise from people rather than connection with the Almighty. They were worried more that people would recognize them than they would recognize the God they were talking to. He says, that's the reward you get. Like if you need all that, we talked about it last week with the giving. If you need to show your giving so you can get all those likes and shares and all the things, that, that thing that scratches that itch is all you get. That pat on the back for, hey, good job. That's it. But Jesus says there's something more. There's more to it than that. Because who we pray to matters. If you pray to somebody, right? Who's, who's uh, accomplishing the end of the prayer? If you're praying so people can hear, can people give you what you need? You're praying for provision. You can't, people can't give you that. Are you praying for joy, contentment? Are you praying for peace? Like if you're praying for someone to hear you, a person to hear you, they can't accomplish that prayer. And yet this is what the hypocrites did. This is what the Pharisees did who we address is important. He goes on to say, verse chapter, uh, chapter uh, six, verse six. But when you pray, go into your room, he says. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's this, this thing that we fight as human beings, uh, as people, because God is unseen, it's very difficult for us to interact with him, right? If you're a kid or student, we wrestle with this. Kids and students are more honest about their wrestling with this. Like, is God really there? Like, I can't see him. Like, he, he didn't come to dinner on Thursday night. Is he there? 
right? They, they wonder, they, 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 they wrestle with it. As adults, we get religious, right? We get religious is how we cope with the idea that our father who is unseen sees what is done in secret and that there is actually reward. There is this relational intimacy that we can have with God, even though we can't see it and no one else can see what we're doing because we worry. Here's the thing. If nobody knows my need, how is it gonna be provided for? Think about this. What is it that you need prayer? Right now, if, if I asked around the room, we'd all go around, what do you need prayer for? Some would be for, uh, for provision, some would be for jobs, some would be for marriage, some would be for kids, some would be for a lost person you know, some would be for just peace because you're, you're just racked and wrestling. And, and there's part of us that, is, that can't believe, is, has a difficulty believing that unless that is out tangible for other people to see, it won't get taken care of. And Jesus is reminding us, hold on a second. Who are you addressing? Who are you praying to? You're not praying to some small G God who you can see on the street corner after church on Sunday. You're not praying to some small G God, you know, Visa and MasterCard. You're not praying to some small G God, pastor so-and-so. You're not praying to those things because they can't do anything for you. You're praying to God Almighty, Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, your heavenly Father, and if your father was angry like my father was or your father was absent, doesn't mean that the heavenly father is angry or absent. In fact, he's faithful. So Jesus is saying, listen, don't point your prayers to people. Point your prayers to God because even though you can't see him, he sees you and he hears every word. It goes on, verse seven. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. The Greeks would make prayers and they would pile up as many accolades to their God. They would pile up, um, they would address them as, with as many titles as possible, hoping to secure his or her attention. In fact, the pagans, what they would do, they would pray typically, I'm gonna read this specifically because it's important. Pagan prayers typically reminded the deity of favors done or sacrifices offered, attempting to get a response from the God on contractual grounds. I'm gonna read it one more time. I want you to listen real close. This does not say Christian prayers, it says pagan prayers typically reminded the deity of favors done or sacrifices offered, attempting to get a response from the God on contractual grounds. Lord, I know you saw me witness to that person last week. Lord, I know, I know you saw me giving coats out down in the third ward yesterday. Lord, hey, remember I tithed all the weekends this month. Now I hope you're listening up because I got a few things. <laughs> we do this. And it's real subtle, isn't it? How we get to this place where we believe our relationship with God to be a contract. That we are a contract that if we do enough stuff, God will love us more, will listen more, and will respond with the yes, Johnny, to my prayers because I have earned the right to have him say Yes. And it becomes a contract between us and God. And I don't mean that everybody does. I don't think everybody prays like this. I have slipped into that. I'm gonna out myself. I've slipped into this thinking that somehow there's a contract between he and I 
And that if I just remind him of all the good I've done, that will get me the response that I'm looking for. A lot of words doesn't actually matter because God knows. Ecclesiastes 5, if you're not in a community group, you should get in one, plug, plug, plug. They're a good place to be to find hope and encouragement and unity there. But we've been studying Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes 5, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offering the sacrifice of fools. He said, let your words be few because God already knows. So why pray? <laughs> this is a good youth group question because that's the question you get. Well, fine, we don't have to. He already knows. Why do we pray? Because God wants an intimate relationship with you. And there's communication involved. If I never talk to my kids, do you think they, they think I love them at all? No. We talk, we communicate, we converse, we interact. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools, he says. Don't be like the pagans babbling on and on and on and on. The essence of all prayer is worship in the end, isn't it? Worship of God, elevation of God, uplifting God. That's what prayer is. And we're offered this prayer. Jesus isn't saying, pray these words every time, but he says, pray like this. And he offers us what we know is the Lord's prayer. It's the, more the disciples' prayer than anything else, probably. But the Lord's prayer, and instead of just talk through it and teach you what it says, I want to just do it. Can we do it together? We're not going to say it together. We do that a lot, right? But what happens when we say it a lot is it, is it loses its meaning and it becomes a religious thing that we do if we're not careful. So we're going to talk through these things. Jesus says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. Prayer to God is an acknowledgement and a reverence for his holiness and who he is. It is remembering who you're talking to, right? My, my estimation is if you met some high authority, you would, I've, I've watched it happen so I know, like you, or even a celebrity, somebody who you feel is higher up than you, we change, our, we change the way, we, we come with a different uh, demeanor, right? If you come talk to me, you're like, hey, what's up, bro? If you go to, you know, meet AK or somebody that's definitely, you know, a bigger deal than me, you, you, you revere them differently. You have a different reverence for them, right? I won't say the president because, you know, it's November, and we get all worked up about it. But the office, we'll just say the office of president, right? You'd be like, every, you see people, they revere it differently. They're like, oh, Mr. President, there's a different thing. We title it different. We understand that it's different. Well, forget that. Forget the king. Forget whoever. You're talking to God Almighty, right? He says, so the first part of prayer is to acknowledge who you're talking to, to revere him as holy. Here's what it says in Psalm 146, and we're gonna pray this. We're gonna do this together. It's a worship service, so prayer should be part of it, right? Listen close. You can close your eyes. You can just listen. I want you to hear this. Praise the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, the great I am. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save 
When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Spend a minute. Remember who we're talking to. Let him know that you know he's holy. We'll just sit in that for a sec. God, you are our Father, and you are, in fact, holy. Set apart. We come before you, mighty God. I pray that you hear us today. You can stay in that posture if you like. You can tune a little different. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus, it's still not about us. It's still about him. God, you're holy. We revere you. We know who we're talking to. God, would you make it here right now the way it is with you right now? Would you bridge the gap? Would you cause that gap to go and that not my will, but your will? A lot of times we pray, God, what's your will for me? And it should be, God, what's your will, period? Because it doesn't matter what my will is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Mark 8, 34 says, if you will follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's spend a minute. Ask God, what's your will, period? Let's just sit in that for a second and say, God, I want your kingdom to come. Just lay down whatever it is you need to lay down. God, you're holy and we want what you want, not what we want. And then he gets into this first prayer for ourselves and it's asking God for provision. It's not provision for tomorrow or for next week. It's not for 2021. God, come quickly. It's not for 10 years, our 10-year plan or our five-year plan. But, but Jesus says, when you pray, ask God for what you need today. God, give me what I need today. See, we don't like that because it's uncomfortable, right? We don't like that because it means we're not sure about tomorrow and we wanna be in control. We wanna take care of business and it's hard for us to, one, acknowledge that God is in control, two, that our will isn't as important as his will and three, that we can trust that today he'll give us enough. You guys know the story of the Israelites? Exodus 16, he leads, them out of, he leads them out of Egypt and they're in the desert, right? And we have a bunch of amazing people in here. We could make that thing 
like clockwork, man. We make that thing work great. But they couldn't even find food for themselves and they were complaining. And so God said, this is what I want you to tell them. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. There's no vegetation. There were no bread factories in the desert. God provided for them what they needed. And he says this, the people are to go out each day, each day and gather enough for that day. And on Saturday, go out and get enough for two days because there won't be any food on that, on that seventh day, right? A day of rest so they can have what they need. And the people that kept it over, it went bad because God said, today you'll have enough if you trust me. So when you pray for that daily provision, it causes us to be dependent on God. This is why God won't let me win the lottery. I mean, I don't pay, I don't, I don't play that. I've no, no, I bought a ticket, I'm not gonna lie. But I'm convinced because it would create a dependency on myself. This is just me. So we're gonna pray for a moment and I would, like, I would like you to ask God for today. Don't ask him for tomorrow. What is it that you need for today? Let's pray about that. God, help us live in the present. Thank you for your provision for today, for Sunday, for all the things that we need. We'll ask again tomorrow. And then comes the hard part. I hate this next part because it's hard. The first part's great. He says, forgive us our debts. Amen, hallelujah, yes, please. Huh? Yes, God, forgive us our debts. Forgive me, Father, for the things I've done to hurt you and hurt others. Let that come quickly and in abundance. Except this is only half a sentence. Do you know what the other half of the sentence says? It says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, God, I want the same kind of forgiveness that I have given to other people. Did you know that's what you're praying? Forgive me, Lord, as much as I have forgiven so-and-so already. Forgive us our debts as we have also. How many times have we said that when we haven't forgiven also? Now, this doesn't mean that you weren't forgiven. We know that the cross, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus has happened. You have been forgiven, as has the person you haven't forgiven yourself. But this is about an intimate relationship with God, right? Love God, love others. And when we come and we pray and seek God for forgiveness, it is implied that we would have also forgiven the person the way we want God to forgive us. This is tough. This is why it's hard. Right? This is, we're talking about real prayer. We're not talking about the easy, selfish prayers. 
Jesus is saying, listen, don't come to God asking for all this stuff for you when you're not willing to give it away to somebody else. You know? We learned in Matthew 5 earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that if you're, if you're coming to give your offering and you know somebody has something against you, what does it say? Drop it and run. Drop it and go, take care of business, and then come back and you continue to worship God. You get to the parable of the unmerciful servant. This is a great one. The servant was given, canceled all this debt, and he goes out, and for five measly bucks, he goes and throws his buddy in jail. And God says, look, with the measure you use, And we struggle with that, don't we? Forgive us our debts. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend a moment. I want to read this passage from 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's spend a moment getting right with the Lord laying those things out and work out that thing that you have with that person in your heart. Ask God for help to forgive them too. Let's pray and do that. God, we're sorry for not forgiving others like you've forgiven us. We really need to do better. We would hate for you to harbor the anger and bitterness towards us that we harbor towards others. And it's hard. We're not you, so it's difficult for us. Would you give us the ability to forgive like you forgive? The last bit that we see here, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you look in the Aramaic, it's closer to, and help us not sin when we are tempted. See, because you will be tempted, not by God. James 1 tells us that, you, that God doesn't tempt anyone. But when you are tempted, we're praying God, it would be great not to be tempted, but even though we're going to be, help us not sin in that temptation. And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, look, you haven't, you haven't fought the temptation to the point of shedding your blood, he says, and you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. One of my least favorite scriptures in all of scripture. It, you know, somebody once said, I wish God didn't trust me so much. You won't be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're sitting there under it, God will provide a way out. Have you ever been down at the very bottom when you're sitting there and you just can't take it anymore? And like God gives you something, right? It's, it's like, hey, it's that check in your spirit. God, turn it off. Hey, go to bed. Hey, don't go to that store. Hey, and you have those little, those things that are trying to veer you off. Hey, there's a door. Oh, I should go there. I shouldn't be here anymore. I should be there. And God continues to give you these things. Somebody will call you, right, when you're about to make a terrible decision. You ever had that before where you want to make the wrong decision and somebody calls you and interrupts the flow, right? That, that mindset of going into sin, that's God providing a way out. 
And we see at the very end here, he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. He talks about fasting. In the same vein, he says, look, when you're fasting, when you are trying to be, when you're exercising your spiritual discipline, don't do it for the praise of people. In other words, don't make it look like you're fasting. Don't walk around all swollen and rubbing your stomach so people will ask you, oh, what's the matter? And you go, oh, no, it's no big deal. I'm just fasting. (laughs) Don't, Don't schedule lunch meetings on your day of fasting so that you can tell people at the restaurant, oh, what are you gonna get? Oh, no, it's okay, I'm fasting. Right? Because what is done in secret, God sees and rewards. It's an eternal reward. It's intimacy with him that we are going for. So what does all this mean for us? You know George Mueller? Anybody read George Mueller's uh, biography? Yeah, George Mueller's amazing. George Mueller's a man of prayer, of secret prayer. In fact, he ran a home for, for kids and they had deep need. They needed food, they needed clothing, they needed medical supplies. And what people wanted George to do is publish it so people would give them what they needed. And George Mueller was one of these guys who said, no, nah, I'm not gonna put it in the newsletter. I'm gonna pray. And George Mueller prayed in secret and God provided to the dollar. God provided the need on a daily basis. And it wasn't always comfortable and it wasn't always um, fancy, but it was always what they needed. He prayed in secret because he knew that God's power was real. And he didn't need people to necessarily know about it. And now we all have a book that we can read. It's worth the read. There's another book called The Kneeling Christian. There's a a passage in there I wanna uh, tell you. The writer writes this. To be little with God in prayer is to be little with God in service. Much secret prayer means much public power. Yet is it not a fact that while our organizing is nearly perfect, our agonizing in prayer is well nigh lost. It's been said that the worst attended meeting at a church is the prayer meeting. If we did a finance committee meeting, we'd have a full room. But you hit your knees, sometimes that fades because it's hard. Hypocrisy robs us of, 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 uh, excuse me, hypocrisy robs us of a few things. Reality, the trueness of Jesus and God. It robs us uh, of our character and spiritual rewards and even our spiritual influence. The purpose of prayer is not so people see us, but that, that we would see the power of God at work in the world. That's what prayer is really about. Jesus is saying, people can't provide your needs. God can Your intimacy with God matters more than your pat on the back with people. I wonder what would happen if we got to really pray as a church, you know? I don't mean some pious thing. I'm not not trying to prescribe something that's out out of, you know, whack. But what if, I'm convicted by this, I don't, and I don't need you to be convicted. If you are a prayer warrior, please keep doing that. I know we've got them in the room. Please keep praying. Nobody needs to know what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. Do it because he's told you to do it and never stop. Keep praying. But maybe, but maybe prayer is something that needs to adjust in your life. I'm cons- consistently convicted about this. 
I wonder if we could ask ourselves a question and then I'm gonna ch- I wanna give you a challenge for this week, for the next seven days. Let every one of us ask on our knees this question. If no one on earth prayed for the salvation of sinners more fervently and more frequently than I do, how many of them would be converted to God through prayer? In other words, if I was the only person on the planet praying for the lost and through my prayers they'd get saved, how many would get saved if that's how it worked? Just off my prayers. And you say, Johnny, I don't know, I don't, I don't have time. Do you know how busy I am? You know who the, you know who struggle the most to find prayer? People that work in church. Because we work and work and work and work. And we got stuff to plan and make sure we take care of everybody. And sometimes we can forget that praying for our people is much more important than organizing for our people. Praying for your marriages and your kids and for your hearts and your souls and your provision and your jobs and your homes, all the things that you need. Praying for you actually accomplishes more when we're on our knees than when we are planning cool things for you to attend. And yet, we struggle to find time to pray, don't we? You're like, Johnny, I don't even, I don't know what I, I don't know how I can adjust my schedule. I'll give you a couple options. How's that? Practical time, right? Let's get practical. Oh, I left it in my seat. If you pull out your phone, most phones have this cool thing that tells you how much time you spend on it. Did you know that? John, I don't have five minutes. I bet you do. I I could troll your social media accounts and find out if you have five minutes. Think about this. If we just took the amount of time we were on our phones, not making calls for work, but on our time, or our idle time, where we're not really doing anything, or our TV watching time, or our binge watching time, right? What show are you binge watching? Don't say it out loud. I wonder if we could find five minutes to settle enough to acknowledge who we're talking to and to pray simple, meaningful prayers. The other part is this. How often do we pray and we wouldn't even know if the answer was there because we forgot what we prayed about that morning? How many of us prayed this morning and forgot what we prayed for? So here's my challenge. For seven days, here's what I want you to do. Make whatever adjustments you need And I want you to find some time to pray the way that Jesus prescribes. Spending time telling God how great he is, revering him who you're talking to for who he is. Laying down your will and asking the question, God, what is your will, period? Asking for just provision for today. Forgiving others, right? Praying for strength when temptation comes. And yes, asking for salvation, and there is a list. You can ask him for things. And write them down. Specific prayers will beget specific answers. Oh God, bring world peace. Yes and amen. But it's a very general prayer. Specific, write them down so that when God answers them, you'll know. So that we don't walk through life saying prayers thinking it's magically gonna happen and we're not even paying attention to who we're talking to. That's my challenge. And here's my bet. My bet is the first time that you, you get quiet enough and low enough to hear God's voice, all hell's gonna break loose. This is a real thing. 
you will start, like when we just prayed, you know what you heard? You heard, you heard the kiddos, you heard all that, you heard everything, your phone buzzed in your pocket. This is what happens when God's people pray, opposition will come and you need to stay down on your knees. So my challenge is when you get quiet enough, don't let the enemy distract you. Don't let him give you the lies that it's not gonna work. Have faith. Stay down. Lift up his name. Listen, right? Listen. And let's see what'll happen. I wonder what our marriages will look like. I say this a lot, but I mean it. How's the dynamic in your family? What, what, what could it be if God's people prayed like this? How many people would come to know Christ that way? If we trusted that on our knees is where the real power and real work is done. I wonder. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful that we can meet with you in prayer and in worship. Oh God, would you teach us to pray not with fancy words or with self-righteous motives, but God in a humble posture with a desire to know you more, with a desire to see your power at work, And God, as we walk in obedience to this, may we see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.